0: More maturity, because the maturity scripture is a big deal. I know we can, it can sound a bit boring. You think is that the aim, maturity? But in the Bible, when it talks about the church coming to maturity, it talks about Jesus is the head, and the church is the body. And it can be a bit like this really big head, <laughs> and it's really little body. It's a bit funny. And the church coming to maturity is about the church beginning to look like she actually fits with Jesus. It doesn't look kind of like, weird anymore. Um, so very often, when, when, the, when people make nasty comments about the church or deride the church or mock the church, sometimes that's just kind of spiritual hatred, but sometimes it's because the church has really not looked anything like Jesus. And so people are like, you're saying you represent him, and it's kind of big head little body syndrome. Um, and so for the church to come to maturity means the church grows into the fullness of the stature of Christ, which means it fits. And once the church starts representing Christ in a Christ-like way in the world, then um, I think we, we can expect fruit. Um, whatever that looks like is down to the Lord, but there will be fruit. Um, so I just think it's important that we're going to look at um, going on to maturity. And the whole theme is going to be dominoes over to, today and tomorrow. Um, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is that uh, um, it, when, you play, when you get a domino, as you can see... Um, you have the thing is split in half, and then you have some things on one side and some things on another side. And a big part of coming to maturity as a Christian is recognizing that it's not very—it's not always kind of just one thing. Sometimes you have to walk in two two things that seem like how do they fit together, and yet they do fit on the same Christian domino. If you like, they're both there. And today I want to look at elements in the character of God that you you would think how can they be on the same domino? And actually, very often Christians don't know that they are. And so they, they embrace this thing about God, but they embrace one side of the domino. But because they actually think, well, surely if God's like that, he can't be like that. And yet the Bible reveals him to be like that as well. What happens is, is that their view of God becomes a kind of a caricature. And, it, and as a result, maturity is stunted. Why? Because whenever God brings a revelation about this side, they're like, no, 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 that can't be God because God's like this. When I mean, they've not learned to apprehend that spiritually, very often you get these truths that come on a parallel track and you don't really know how they both work together, but they've both been revealed as true. And so I want to look today at the, some elements of the character of God that are a bit like dominoes, and then tomorrow some things about ourselves that are a bit like dominoes. Hoping that as we get it and the Holy Spirit brings revelation, we will not become caricatured Christians, with a view of God. I mean, He's always like that, so we can't be like that. Or of ourselves, having a kind of simplistic thing. You heard the phrase "the devil's in the detail." Anyone heard that phrase? Is that an old person's phrase? Okay, fine. Right. (laughs) One of those moments. Oh no! Uh, So, you if you. So you find it throughout the New Testament. A lot of the letters that are written are battling these things. So, for example, Galatians is written to battle a church which has come under the law. Because these Jews have come in and said, well, look, to a load of Gentiles that have got saved, and they said, look, the law's good, and, you know... If you look through the Old Testament, God told Abraham to get circumcised and he gave Moses the law. And look, it's the same God that sent Jesus. So, of course, you know, you must be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. And these kind of um, naive Gentile Christians have thought, well, yeah, it sounds feasible. And so they've started getting circumcised and living under the law. And Paul Paul blasts that in the message and says "No." no. But what's happened there is this, is that there's been something nuanced. The law is good. The law did come from God. The, the Lord did say to Abraham, be circumcised. The Lord said to Moses, here's my laws. And so it's not just like, well, that law stuff's crazy. No, it's from God and it's good. And yet believers are not under the law. Oh, so the law's good, yeah, but we're not under it. You see, or maybe there was a Colossians, a lot of that was about Greek um, philosophy, which was basically saying spirit, good, physical, bad. That's that's a kind of a Greek, kind of dualistic thing. If it's physical and fleshy, you know, it's bad. It it works against the spirit. So let's just get away from that. And so they would respond either in two ways. They would either kind of treat their bodies really harshly. Why? Because it gets in the way of the spirit. Or they would be really immoral and just sleep around and do stuff. It doesn't matter. It's just my body. And so Colossians is written to combat that. Say, no, no, no. Look, creation is good. All creation is good. And yet still, the spirit, the unseen, is eternal and the physical is temporary, it's nuanced. The person of Christ, fully God and fully man. This was a massive one and it was for centuries. Well if he's fully God, he can't be fully man. If he's fully man, he can't be fully God. So those who say he's fully man but not fully God, um, heorists are still around today, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those who say he's fully God but not fully man, all kinds of different heretics. It took centuries to really nail it. No, Jesus is fully God, fully man. So what are the things? Because we probably don't struggle with those areas. So what are our ones? Well, I want to start off with a one-sided domino. You know the ones I mean? Let's go on to the next uh, slide here, please. You see, you get the ones with five on one side, nothing on the other side. There's something about God that you don't even it out in any way. Okay? There's no kind of tension, no nuance. He is holy. And we're going to just unpack that quickly, just so you understand uh, what we mean by holy. Because it's one of those words, isn't it? We we'll sort of sing it. Oh, it sounds amazing. What does it actually mean? Um, it means separate. It means set apart. It means that. Um, it means that he's unlike anything you could even imagine, let alone encounter. Let alone, let alone think. You know, you couldn't dream up a God. He's no. If you have, you've got him wrong. Why? Because he's unlike anything the created mind could conjure up. He's holy. I think this is the most important thing you can say about God. Some of you may disagree with me. I can't give you a scripture for that, but I believe it is the most important thing to say that he is holy. Why? Because his holiness shapes all the other attributes. I thought God is love, or God is love, but what does that mean? We're going to look at that as one of ours later. It's, it's holy love. It's a very different kind of love. You know, you might say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a loving person. But be, be careful. You might be. But don't start thinking, therefore, that God's just like that. Because it it's a separate love. It's totally different. It's unlike anything you've ever come across. There's no category to fit him into. Now this keeps us from idolatry. Why? Because idolatry is making something in the likeness of, isn't it? Yeah? I'm going to make something in the likeness of that and worship it. Whereas God is unlike. Unlike anything at all. He is uh, the creator. Everything else you see around you fits into one category. Created. Even really exciting things like, I don't know, sort of iPads. Yeah? They're still (laughs) just created. It wasn't, it is, one day it won't be. He is creator. No beginning and no end. Get your head around that. No start, no, yeah, and no end. The start, the end. Always has been, always will be. I put it into perspective. The Voyager, which is a kind of a satellite, not satellite, it's a, it's a spaceship kind of that takes photographs, was sent off in 1977. It's been travelling for 34 years now, away from the Earth. Um, It's now um, just coming to the edge of our solar system, which means it's just coming to the point where it's no longer under the influence in any way by our Sun. It's taken 34 years to get to the edge of our solar system. That's 10 billion miles away. It's taken 34 years to get there. It will be another 40,000 years until the voyager feels the warmth of another sun. It will, not come, it, will not, it will not be under the influence of any other suns for another 40,000 years. Then it will begin to feel the warmth of one other sun. There's an estimated two hundred to 400,000 million suns in our universe. And that's conservative. Creator. He calls them each out by name. Not one of them is missing. He spoke them into being with a word. He is holy. Isaiah is the man who we probably will think of when we think about the holiness of God. In Isaiah 6, he has this vision of the glory of God. I'll read to you what happened to him when he saw God in his holiness. Because this is what happens to people when they see God in his holiness. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me, for I am lost, or for I am ruined, or for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now bear in mind, at this point, Isaiah was already a prophet. He'd been prophesying for years. Isaiah 1 to 5. He's already a prophet. His response when he sees the holiness of God is, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's not the local stand-up comedian. He's a prophet. He's He's been a mouthpiece for God for years. He sees God in his... He knows God. He knows his prophets. He's a mouthpiece. He knows him. And then he sees him in his holiness and he says, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm lost, I'm lost, See, that's, the, that's the voice of those, that's the, that's the label of those who don't know the Lord, I'm lost, I never, I never realised, I'm a man of unclean lips, what's happened is, is that he has seen the holiness of God, same with Ezekiel chapter 1, he sees the vision of the glory of God, here's a man who's a priest, Ezekiel, before he becomes a prophet, he's of a priestly line, sees the vision of of the glory of God. What is the result? He fell on his face as though dead. Can't do it. Too much. It's like John in Revelation 1. Here's the guy who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, intimate with the Lord, asking questions up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Suddenly he sees the risen Lord Jesus. I fell on my face as though dead. What is this? It's the same response from all these mighty ones of God around his Even the seraphs are in trouble. There's no other mention in the Bible of these beings. No one knows what the heck they are. It just means flaming ones. I mean, they'd be frightening enough. If one of them came in here, that would be it for us. They can't even look on him. And you can tell they're delighting in him, but they can't even look. I I don't know whether they glimpsed him once and they thought, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) It's just too much. It's too much for them. So they, they, so they cover with their feet, and they hold the shoes off the feet thing, and cover any, anything that kind of symbolises anything that could be even taken, or even, even, even perceived as unrespectful. Even perceived as kind of casual. We'll cover our feet. We'll remain floating with the other two, and the other two, we're going to just cover our face. But what we will do is we will delight in his holiness. We will sing of it because we saw it once, or we saw it through our wings, and that was enough. By reducing His holiness, you can make life a lot easier. But ease of life and fullness of life are not the same thing. They're very, very different things. This is one-sided. There's nothing I'm going to say to even this out. There's no other side to bring. In all of our compromise, he remains holy. If our culture says that things that he hates are okay, they remain abominable in the sight of a holy God. They don't change in any way. It is a slight, an insult to a holy God to suggest for a moment that sinful human culture would impact him in some way to change his view on something? What kind of a God have we got? Not a God I want to give my life to. If our age dismisses the notion of wrath, his wrath still burns like a furnace. His wrath burns and rages against such talk of a God of no wrath. If the UK says all faiths are just the same, we just use different terms and labels, He remains utterly separate from that way of thinking. There's only one Lord, there's only one name, there's only one way. It must be clear. He is only known by revelation, not by imagination. So do not make him up. To make life easier, do not make him up. He has revealed himself through creation, he's revealed himself through the prophet's words, all through scripture. He's revealed himself finally, ultimately, perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our God. Let's get on We're going to do two, two dominoes today that I've got two sides to them. The first one: love and hatred. We're told of Jesus, you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We're told in 1 John 4, verse 8, says this, God is love. Psalm 5, verse 5, David speaking about the Lord, to the Lord says, You hate all evildoers. God is love. You hate all evildoers. God is love. All very well. But there's a danger in that. Here's the danger. The danger is I take what I think love is and I say, God's like that. That's God. What have I done there? I've uh, made a God in my image. I've taken what I think love is. And I've said, Yeah, I think that's, that's love. I've been around a while now, say seven years. I've seen a few things. And um, I have decided this is the meaning of love. And the Lord is just like this. You, you're going to make some bad turns if you uh, do that. Um, if He is love, which He is then everything he does through the whole book is a manifestation of his love. So when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought from a tent on a cart towards Jerusalem and the oxen stumble and Uzzah holds out his hand to try and steady the Ark and God strikes him dead, that is the love of God. Because he is love. How does that work? Here's how it works. Before... Anything else, God loves his glory, his name, his fame. God is really, really excited about himself. Get over it. If he wasn't, you would have cause for real concern. If God the whole time was saying, worship me because I'm worthy of worship, and he was worshipping something else, he was worshipping like you or something. A lot of people really want that, don't they? I wish God would just make it say, it's all about me. You know, you... What's, that's weird. That's really weird. If God is saying, I'm the one, I am who I am, come and worship me, all you nations, then you, you, we better hope that he's pretty, you know, if there's something else he's excited about, but he's excited about Barbados. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What well, comes to all the nations, but I'm, that's the thing that really gets me. What is, that's weird. That's, something's gone wrong there. You've got to use your mind to think this stuff true. God's greatest love is for his glory and hallelujah that it is. God's greatest love is for his fame. He is the ultimate object of his own affections. He is not all about you. He is all about him and you need to get that because I'm deliberately hitting some stuff. The things I'm hitting today are things that I see in the contemporary church that need addressing. He's not all about you. He's all about Him. And the most wonderful, liberating thing that can happen to a human is to become all about Him. Ask yourself, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, if He's all about Him and you've been made in His image, then surely that means that to be fully human is to be all about Him. Whereas the world we live in sells us a lie and says, No, it'll be all about you. It's really exciting. You can get loads of stuff. And you can feel really special. But what it does is is that it kind of it's like it kind of like a little drug, it's like a little caffeine rush, you guys at the Coke fountain, all that, it's like the thing you had yesterday. It's, like, it's that ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, I've got this and I've got that and I've got this. And and then it's like Oh, like it's a more and there comes a point somewhere on the journey where you say, this isn't that glorious this is actually quite dull what's happened is you've been sold a lie, you believed it, you thought it was all about you, it's not it's all about him it's all about him secret to life in all its fullness is being all about him that's the secret being freed from governing self-love into the pursuit of Christ. Christians say that God hates sin and loves sinners. Is that true? It's not the whole picture. The Bible teaches that God hates sin and hates and loves sinners. He hates sinners and he loves sinners. Can you hate and love someone at the same time? But before we get too philosophical and say, well, God can, because he can do anything. People can. People can. Imagine a 20-year-old woman who's been abused systematically by her father for years. She hates him. She hates him because night after night, he did that. But what hurts more than anything is that it was her dad. And she loves him. It hurts more than if it had been a stranger. Why? Because it was a dad, and she loves him. You can hate and love at the same time. In fact, those you love more can actually do things that make you hate them more. Why? Because they're much closer to you. God hates sinners. God doesn't just somehow mysteriously separate sin from sinners, as if they're separate things. That person sinned. Well, let's just separate that. How can you separate sin from a sinner? You can't. You can't. You can't say, well, it just happened! It just happened! I was there, and this sin thing came on me, and I robbed that bank. It just came on me! I was there being a perfectly innocent, neutral, morally neutral person. And this cynics thing happened. Hopefully God will remove that and hate that and just love on me. No, God will hate that and then he will hate you because he loves you so much. And he says, how could you do this? And then he'll lay down his life for you. It's a new concept maybe. But there you go, Psalm 5.5, you hate sinners. <laughs> Revelation, not imagination. God is love. God is not hate. God is love. But, when placed into a fallen world, the God who is love must hate all that destroys and kills his good creation. I'll say that again. God is not hate. God is love. But you place the God who is love into a fallen world and everything that works against his good creation, he will hate and destroy in order to preserve that which is good. There's the love of God. Let's, let's, let's have some real fun. Let's, let's beat up on this term unconditional love for a while, shall we? I'm going to beat up on that and um, get some of you really annoyed. <laughs> unconditional love is not necessarily a wrong term, but it is so desperately incomplete that I wonder whether it's helpful to talk about God's love in that way. (laughs) You want me to explain more? I know you do. Okay. Because unconditional love speaks of what? It's kind of like a benign welcome, isn't it? It's like, yes, yes, come. Come, yes, I accept you as you are. And that's it. You think, thanks. Now what? What, are talking what do we talk about? I want to, I want to change here, Lord. Fine, if you want to. Fine, if you don't. Because I accept you. Is that what it's like? Let's just unpack the thing, shall we? Because I don't want you guys to start confusing the biblical love of God with kind of the Rogerian concept of unconditional positive regard. What? Carl Rogers was probably one of the most influential psychotherapists to have lived and has not just influenced the psychotherapy but influenced the whole of Western culture. And he taught this thing called unconditional positive regard which is how it's defined. Blanket acceptance and support of a person regardless of what the person says or does. Is God like that? Let's look at that again. Blanket acceptance and support of a person regardless of what the person says or does. Is that God? Hmm. Ananias and Sapphira. Hmm. Now let's think what happened there. There's a couple who lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to, lied to the church, really, were living in deceit. What did God do? He killed them. Hmm. Doesn't really fit with that. Blanket acceptance and support of a person, regardless of what the person says or does. And he just killed them. What about Simon the Magician? Simon the Magician, he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does Peter say to him? No problem, Simon, because you know what? The Lord just accepts you for who you are. May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Your heart's not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. It's kind of different. A different flavour, isn't it, from... Well, you know, you just accept it. What about Elymas, the magician? He, he was trying to turn people against the gospel. Listen to what Paul says to him. Paul looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you to be blind, unable to see the sun for a short time, or for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. What... What have, what, what have you bought into in terms of your concept of God? I'm not trying to get you to buy into my concept. I'm trying to genuinely say, what does the word reveal about the Lord and the love of God? God does not accept people unconditionally. He doesn't. He accepts them in Christ. That is a massive condition. Outside of Christ, he rejects them. He also pursues them. But while they are outside of Christ, he also rejects them. I will not have you in my holy presence as you are. Richard spoke about it earlier with the Holy of Holies, and it would all go an amen. It's the same thing. You can't just breeze in. You cannot just breeze in. You come in with boldness and with reverence. Why? Because the blood of Jesus covers you. He's made a way through his broken body so you can be in the most holy place. He indwells you in his holiness. That's why you tread with reverence. It's not just you can get into the Holy of Holies, you've become the Holy of Holies. It's who you are now. the term unconditional love is so incomplete. What's a better term for the love of God? Here's here's a a few to just throw around. Burning love. You like that? Burning love. Transforming love. Jealous love. Sacrificial love. Conquering love. I'm with that. I think that's scriptural. I think that's biblical. It describes a lot more the power of God's love. And it's a love that leaves room for hate. Hatred of all things dark. This is why in Ephesians 5 it says that Christ's sacrificial love death produces a radiant bride out of what was a prostitute. It pro- his, he laying down his life on that cross produces, it was a prostitute what we were, just, just going after other gods, worshipping other things. And he, he lays down his life and he, he creates, what is, what is this that's coming forth as a result? This bride, this spotless, beautiful bride. What has done that? The love of God. Sacrificial, that's what it does. That's what it does. It's like in Hosea. But in this domino, on this quote from Hosea, one of my most, most beautiful quotes in the Bible. I mean, here's a man, a real man, who God says marry a prostitute. Why? Because he's going to live out. The man Hosea, he's going to live out. His life is going to be a prophecy of God's relationship with his people. And and this, this woman. Goma. She, uh, she marries him. They have a child. And then she gets pregnant again, but it seems like it's not by Hosea. And then she goes all out and just leaves him and goes back to her a way of life. And, and then she's in the slave market for sale. Again, ruined, broken, torn. And what is ho- God commands Hosea, go there and cover her nakedness. This is a real man. He goes to that slave market, humiliated, everyone knows. he's the go, I married that woman and now. He goes, what does he do? What's he going to do? Kill her? Stone her to death? What's he going to do? He covers her nakedness. He buys her, wins her back. What is that? It's the heart of God. Listen to the heart of God. How can I give you up, O refrain. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils Within me, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger, though it is there. But I will not execute it. I will not again destroy a frame, for I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That's the heart of God. How can I give you up? It's not this benign kind of, yeah, cool, so just welcome everyone. It's kind of just kind of the deal, we're just kind of laid back here and everyone can do their own thing. No, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's the burning, holy love of God. And our final domino for the day is the kindness and the severity of God. I'll read you from Romans 11. Well, here it is. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. What's going on here? Paul's writing about the Jews and the Gentiles and he's saying to the Gentiles in the Roman church, Do you know what? God was dealing with the Jews for century after century after century and they kept turning away, turning away. In the end, you know, God said, you know what, I'm going to just cut you off of the vine and I'm going to graft in these Gentiles. And Paul's saying, you've received the kindness of God. And, and, and the reason why he's writing it there is that, is that he wants to keep the Gentiles from this presumptuous arrogance? Oh yeah, we're in now. You know, we're part of the thing. And he's saying, no, 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 you're in, but it's the kindness of God. That's, you were never in. You were, as, as the Bible describes us, we were, you know, away from God, apart from God, without God and without hope in the world. That's the Gentiles, without God and without hope, sniffing around, worshiping futile things, going just living by our instincts, following our lusts. And God broke in and said, you know what? Let's get these Gentiles involved in this thing been incredibly kind to us. He wants them to feel his kindness, that God's under no obligation to save them. God was under no obligation but he wanted to be kind. But you see, very often, isn't it true that kind people, you can't even imagine them having a severe side. Think about your uncle, your favourite uncle or your granny. Just cakes, cakes, cakes. (laughs) That's all it is. It's just cakes. What did this woman do before she was a granny, you think to yourself? She was a granny to other people's kids. That's what she did. And she baked them cakes. You know? You think, how do these things come together? Don't make him into the image of someone you know. He's kind. So he's just kind. Drill down into the mystery of God. And if you're surprised by what you find, kneel down. Make sure it's really saying that. If it is really saying that, Take your shoes off, kneel down and worship. Don't bend it into something else. Don't go over it and dismiss it. Don't reason it away by your theological framework. Kneel and worship. He's unlike anything I've ever known. He's unlike anything I've ever seen. Only the understanding of the severity of God and the hatred of God makes sense of the cross. Now, you'll notice there's numbers of books coming out if you're a Christian reader, you know, you're in the you're finger on the pulse in the Christian world, Christian podcasts and all of that. There's actually a big battle going on at the moment, very big battle. And it's, it's basically um, by people that would all call themselves evangelical, say we, we believe in scripture, um, but the way they approach it is very, very different. And you basically get one camp and the whole thing is, I, I say I believe it's idolatrous and it's taking a kind of a um, humanistic Carl Rogers' kind of unconditional positive regard kind of deal and saying, that's the love of God, therefore, at the cross there, you know, there was no wrath, or, you know, let's just, let's just, that wasn't what was going on there, that's kind of, all that blood and kind of God's wrath, that's, come on, we've grown out of that, you know, and um, God's not like that. And then then there's the approach which takes the Bible as it is and doesn't try and move beyond it. And I think, this is massive that you get this stuff. Wasn't God severe to Christ when He judged Him for our sin? Was He or wasn't He? He was. Poor Jesus? No. He willingly gave Himself. Yeah. God re- agreed within Himself from eternity. This is how we will do it. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just quoting Psalm 22.1 to show that He was being the Messiah. It actually happened. It's actually really happening. The Father forsook him in that sense. He was derelict. Did Christ become sin? Yes, he became sin. Was he cursed for us? Yes, he was. What is it to be accursed if not to be under the wrath of God? And what is wrath without severity and hatred? It was the burning, holy, severe wrath of God and the hatred towards sin that was poured out On Jesus at the cross which is why when we draw near today we experience mercy instead of that please understand it it's not because God's nice it's because God spent his wrath at the cross Jesus satisfied the wrath of God he was our propitiation which means he turned away the wrath of God from us by receiving it unto himself It's the severity of God. God's default is kindness. Absolutely. He is slow to anger. He is ridiculously slow to anger. We're talking centuries. That's slow to anger. He is kind. So why this severity at all? It is part of his arsenal of weapons for ongoing stubborn covenant breaking. There comes a point where God goes, "Boom." there comes a point where God says, do you know what? I'm going to put you under some serious discipline because you are playing around and you're really not getting it. I'm going to deal with you until you get it. Start with the kids. There comes a point where I say to them, when they're bouncing off the walls and the ceilings, there comes a point where I say, guys, if you don't calm it down, I'm going to get strict. At that point, something's been said. It's a little phrase. They know the phrase. The phrase means, the atmosphere's going to change pretty soon if you don't actually start listening to me. Okay? That's how it works in our house. They're still my treasures. Actually, it's because they're my treasures that I do this. But at some point, the frown happens. The eyebrows, in all their furry glory, in all their oneness, I know. I know. A <laughs> hey, lower. The frown happens. I want to ask you a question. Is that okay? Is that okay? I would say yes. As long as it's not a manifestation of impatience, stroppiness, me just not liking being inconvenienced, but actually they're getting out of hand, yes, it's perfectly okay. It's modelled on God's discipline, disciplining fatherhood. I was a bit of an idiot last night with the kids. But at late night, obviously they were here for the thing, so we got back, there's highest kites, and they said, can we talk, Dad? And I said, no. Right? Why? What was my reason? My reasoning was, it's crazy late anyway, you're staying up for the social Saturday night, you're going to be bonkers. Sunday's going to be just tears all day. Yeah? So I said, no. And then, and then they're pushing it and pushing it, and I'm saying, no, no, because I'm basically sticking to my guns and I'm realising, do you know what, it's Friday night, they want to chat for five minutes, why are you being such a donut, listen? Let your kids lie in the hotel room and have a chat, yeah? And there comes a point, I said, you know what, I said, I, just, I don't know, I said, I just say, I'm just a bit of an idiot sometimes, of course you can chat, I'm really sorry. And Melody went, and I said, I'm just, I, don't know. I, said I don't know why I'm so, so stupid sometimes, I'm really sorry. And Melody said, you're not stupid, you're lovely. <laughs> what a moment. What a moment. I was amazed. But um, the point is this. Here's the point. Hopefully, their thoughts of me are kindness. When they think of me, what they think of, I hope, are things like this. Massive smiles when I get in from work. Cuddles for no good reason. Piggybacks. Loads of kisses. Presents if I go away for more than one night in a row. That's the rule. Otherwise it gets crazy. Um, Mario Kart. Uh, where I do try to win, still, but I do it in good, good humour. Um, really embarrassing jokes when their friends around, um, but not Daddy, the daft old fool who has no authority and strength. No, not for a minute. Why? Because I pattern my fatherhood on his get it wrong a lot, but that's my pattern. And he is not some daft old fool that just accepts whatever you do because he loves you with a burning, jealous, holy, transforming love. I insist on being respected by the kids and by the Now, I have to live in a manner that makes it easy for me to be respected. I recognise that. But it's, it's important. I'm the protector. I'm the guy who's going to fight the alligator if it sneaks into the house. That's me. I get asked these questions. Dad, if an alligator... Yes, I would fight it. We have those conversations. I just hope I would if it happened. But that's my role. If that dog, yes. (laughs) Really, yes. That's who I am in the home. Now, what this leads to is not walking on eggs. It leads to safety. They know there's someone in the home who's the head of the home. In a sacrificial, humble, fun, godly way, hopefully, when I get it right. Same with him. He's not some old idiot, you know. You can just mess around with and squeeze into your image and throw your little spiritual clichés around and imagine that he's going to fall for them. It doesn't work like that. He is holy. He's unlike anyone or anything else. His love is a burning, jealous, transforming love that hates everything evil. He's kind, so kind. But when the need arises, he will be beautifully severe. He's not mocked. He's not to be trifled with. This brings the cross into sharp focus. We see God's holiness, number one, refusing to be like us, refusing to accept the inevitability of sin and compromise, but cursing, judging and overcoming sin. We see his holy hatred of sin and his burning love for the world in giving his only son to die on a cross of wood. And we see his severe treatment of the sin sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might live under his kindness. We're going to break bread in the presence of a holy God. If you need to get right with God, here's the promise. If we confess our sins, that doesn't mean you just glibly reel it off. You draw near to Him and you feel it. You feel, you know, do you know what? Just some of you, there's just this narcissism thing. You think it's all about you. You, just need to, you want to be fruitful, you've got to walk away from it. You've just got to walk away from it. You've got to kill it. We'll look at that stuff tomorrow morning when we look about us. Let's. Getting God right leads to a holy boldness, a holy joy, a holy confidence that really is the real and the authentic thing. And it means that we are able to overcome in all the things that get thrown at us because we recognise this whole thing is about Him. And we want to see Him represented right by the words we speak and the way we live. So that people might come to know Him when they come to know Him, and not come to know some kind of idea we made up of Him. So, Andy, it would be great if you could just come back. and We've got, not ages, but we've got enough time to sing a song or two, to take the bread and the wine, You haven't got a load of space, so maybe it makes sense. Maybe someone can come and get some. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'll blow it. Let's not rush. We said 12 for the baptism. they can be 10 past. Let's just let's do what we've got to do. Yeah. The beauty of the weekend is that we're not rushing. But maybe you know, maybe if you want to have a big time of prayer around the bread and the wine, maybe have the bread and the wine, and then come and use some space and get with each other, confess your sins to one another, James 5, and be healed. It's a place for that too. Let's really, yeah, body of Christ, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for not letting us get away with creating our own ridiculously small and pathetic images of you. Thank you for keep bringing us face to face with the reality of who you are. Thank you for your burning holy love. Thank you for your jealous, kind love. Thank you for your strong, overcoming, conquering love. Lord, we are so privileged to be before you, to be under you. We thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that covers our sins. Thank you for cleansing, wholeness, new life. As we sing and break bread, Lord, we pray you would make your presence powerfully known among us. We might do great business with you, we pray. Amen.